Aloha and welcome back to SUPFM. My name's Simon Hutchinson and in the SUPFM podcast every week I chat to people who can inspire and add to your experience of stand-up paddleboarding. What you'll find in every episode is a conversation with someone who's either done something incredible in SUP or who can offer you some learning, insights and help which can add something to your time on the water. We want to say a big thank you to this show's sponsor over at Starboard. Starboard is the leading innovator in SUP and has a huge history in board and paddle design. And way back in episode 71, I talked to Sven Rasmussen, the creator of the brand. He started by producing windsurfing boards in 1994, and the success of his innovative designs led to the brand developing into the market leader in only 10 years. Starboard got behind stand-up paddling early and has supported the sport ever since. They continue to innovate on the environmental front and improve and push the boundaries of design and functionality, which makes their boards and paddles perfect for the weekend warriors like me, as well as the explorers and adventurers like one of our previous guests, Cal Major. And you can find out more about Starboard through their website, which is linked to in the show notes. You can catch up with SUPFM Podcast in plenty of places, including Instagram and on Facebook. But if you wanted to keep it old school, you could sign up to our SUPFM email newsletter, which goes out with a whole lot of value added updates. And if you do sign up, then as a thank you, you also get our bonus free guide to our favourite apps that we use on the water to keep us safe and informed. And you can subscribe by heading over to our website, supfmpodcast.com. This week, I chat with Ben Longhurst, who is the technical director of the Water Skills Academy, which is an organisation based in the UK and which covers a whole load of bases. They run expeditions and holidays across the world. They run industry events and in-person events to inspire and keep paddlers informed. And they were particularly active during the first UK lockdowns with some webinars, which are still available and which certainly kept my morale up and which are linked to in the show notes. The biggest thing that WSA do is to offer courses and to certify instructors across general instruction, adventure guiding, surfing, life saving and a number of other areas. And the topic of instructors isn't something that we've previously covered on the podcast. And while there are some clear benefits to getting coaching, whatever your level, there are also real benefits to becoming an instructor. Because even if you only coach the occasional lesson like me, you don't necessarily do it to earn a million, but you do it because it's a really fun thing to do. It certainly feels very good to play a role introducing extra people into the sport. And it also helps me to learn a lot about the sport, which I wouldn't have learned if I wasn't passing information over to others. Uh, Ben is also an experienced adventure in his own right. So we do talk a bit about his experience descending the world's deepest gorge in Nepal by Sup and his love for the west coast of Scotland. So a big welcome to the Water Skills Academy's technical director, Ben Longhurst. Hey Ben, welcome to SUP FM. 
Hi, Simon. Massive thanks for, for having me on and, and representing uh, WSA. It's a um, true honor to be here. You know, I listen to the podcast. I'm a avid listener and the guests you've had on and truly amazing. So quite, quite humbled when you when you asked, asked me to come on. So thank you very much. Well, it's an absolute pleasure and um, we're humbled to have you on and to talk about all your fantastic work in WSA, the Water Skills Academy. And something that we haven't done before is to talk about instructors and, and providing that sort of service, providing such skills and knowledge from the perspective of an organisation who provides that knowledge and, and certifies instructors. And as we discussed off air before this, there's a whole alphabet soup of different organisations, some which operate across international boundaries and some that are specific to individual countries who provide those standards for instructors. So what it would be great to discuss amongst other things is why people should get the services of an instructor in the first place. And also some of the things that I've discovered from being an instructor, which is how it helps to add a whole new added dimension to your paddling experience. And of course, the organisation you represent, Water Skills Academy, have been really innovative, particularly about how you spread your expertise across the paddling community. And also what's been impressive is your collaborations with other organisations and your, I don't know what the collective noun is for ambassadors, is it stable or something like that? <laughs> but uh, but it's been, it's a very uh, impressive collection of individuals and some of those people we've had on the show already. And also it'd be great to get your view on the growth of the sport over the last couple of years. But before we get to talk about uh, instruction and instructors and uh, all of that stuff, it's always good to get a picture of how you got your start in water sport and adventure sport. So were you one of those kids that was always outdoors? Yeah, I was. And I think maybe it was the age. I was sort of the, the year of 1972. And um, it was sort of slung out at an early age to go and play uh, in, in the coal bunker or out in the garden or, you know, in the woods as you grew up. So, yeah, absolutely. I've been, you know, outdoors from a, from an early age. And that was always encouraged. Um, I think that one thing I was encouraged to do really early in life was um, was to swim. Um, I was taught taught to swim quite an early age, um, and uh, and I think that's held me in good stead all the way uh, all the way through you know my life so far. And I, I think it's a skill that is a life skill. I think that that everyone should learn you know globally. So very very lucky and important uh, being able to do that. And I think we're probably of a similar vintage and. Your story about playing in the coal scuttle building sites used to be my uh, favoured place where I used to play, which uh, obviously comes with a massive health warning. But luckily, we all survived with the the odd trip to uh, A and E for stitches and various other other things. So, how did you get your start in in water sports? Oh, I guess um, yeah, it was really swimming that gave me that opportunity. I swam, as I say, from quite an early age, um, and then sort of went into competitive swimming um i swam competitively for a number of years you know training before school after school competing on weekends and um i can't remember what age i was but i, I kind of remember going to the pool one evening and having a had a break and and saying to my mum that's um that's kind of it i've had enough and um she said well well that's fine what what you're gonna do and uh, i remember it being a monday and um I got home, told my dad, and he, he was the one who'd been driving us. And um, 
he said, well, there's a, there's a lifeguard session, beach lifeguards in the pool on a Monday night. So went along, saw some friends that uh, I'd met swimming, and that, and that was it, really. Joined um, Pink Bay and Scare Lifeguard Club, competed surf swimming, uh, board paddling, ski paddling, you know, well into, uh, into my teens. And um, it was a time when, you know, there weren't many surfers around, but took up surfing. I knew everyone in the water at that time in, in my local beach, Rest Bay. Um, there was about 10 of us. Um, so that my passion for the water continued and certainly the sea then being being part of that for all those years. So, yeah, it was, a you know, the passion continues. And uh, when did you first encounter SUP? I first saw it, actually. Um, my, my wife and I, Sarah, we were away on a, um, on a trip in, luckily enough, in California. And um, we were walking along at a beach and, and saw this uh, this guy paddle this board across. And, uh, I'm not sure what I thought, actually. I probably thought that'll never catch on. But um, uh, it was absolutely incredible. And, and you know, being um, sort of being a paddler and a surfer, it's like, that's truly amazing, you know. Um, came back to the UK and um, I was in my local local surf spot and a, a really good friend of mine who isn't around anymore, actually he's passed away, he, um, he, he was on a stand-up um catching waves asked me if i wanted to have a go fell off um and absolutely fell in love with it so um yeah really lucky uh lucky seeing it and then lucky that my mate paul was uh, bought a board quite early on and i was able to have a go absolutely and now it's rife and all over the place isn't it it's it's incredible um so just um i know you're you've been on a number of expeditions and uh, you've traveled to some pretty incredible places um including nepal and you know even our own west coast of scotland just tell me a bit about some of those those adventures and expeditions that that you've been on um yeah so it started quite early really i left school um just just after i was 16 didn't really get on with school um and at that time there was uh, an outdoor ed course in newbury berkshire of all places um that uh, ran a year's outdoor education. It was run by a guy called Stuart Wagstaff, who um, who taught me how to kayak and canoe. Um, Stuart was one of the early uh, uh, British explorer paddlers that uh, did a lot of first ascents in the Himalayas, paddled a lot in the States and Canada. Um, and from there, I moved up to Scotland uh, for a couple of years to, to work in an outdoor centre there, um, met a load more amazing people, um, all inspirational characters, you know, surrounded by them. And they, they talked about these far off lands going kayaking away for a month. And, you know, in those days there were, there were no guidebooks. It was sort of arrive and explore first ascents, etc. So, um, I sort of kept that in my mind. And in, in 93, um, I led my first expedition to, uh, to Nepal. Um, it was a, a Welsh student kayak expedition. I'd, I'd gone back to college um, and it was basically a month of, of paddling rivers in Nepal, and it was absolutely fantastic. Ten day multi multi day trips, living out of kayaks, sleeping on beaches, and um, yeah, I was absolutely hooked. And you returned to Nepal, didn't you, in twenty seventeen? Because you you led a, the first sub defence of the Kali Gandaka. Kali Gandaki, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> So I do, I can pronounce Annapurna, which is uh, one, of, one of the mountains which is on one side. Just tell us a bit about that, because that sounds incredibly special. Yeah, so I, I guess, you know, I, I went back and forth to Nepal quite, quite a lot 
in the 90s and um i went back sort of every year for month-long periods of paddling and interspersed with that i did some other trips to um siberia and and one a couple of other places that were incredible and i'd always wanted to go back to nepal and um and it was a, a promise i made to my wife i said look I, you know one day i'll take you there um oh, oh, certainly a special place special people and chatting with an old friend of mine uh aunt eads davis um and we said well why don't we run a stand-up paddleboard uh trip there take take some clients most people to that point had either gone to the himalayas for trekking climbing um uh, or whitewater kayaking and and to go there to look for an easy river flat as we could get it um we we kind of knew where where there was one so yeah we headed off with with a great group and um and led the first uh first descent of the the kalagandaki did that get hairy? Presumably there was all the planning as an in- instructor, leader of the, this expedition. You'd done all of your due diligence in advance. Were there any hairy moments or particular challenges there? Um, yeah, I mean, traveling in a in a country like Nepal is is tough, you know, from the road system to uh, the flights. We, we took um, two internal flights. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not an easy place to travel, but that, I mean, that's part of the adventure for me. It's always been, um, about, about the whole journey, not about, um, you know, doing a particular section of water. Um, so yeah, we, we, you know, did our planning and had been back and forth quite a lot and, and spent a lot of time there after the earthquake, um, helping, um, helping local communities. So, um, we, and really well connected. I, I had some, you know, old contacts there. We, we actually did it as, um, a supported uh, expedition or, or trip with um, a company called Paddle Nepal. And um, again, a bit strange from them to be going to paddle a, um, a reasonably flat water river. Um, so it was great. We could paddle empty boards all day and then get off in the night and have, um, you know, have, have food around a fire with, um, with a Nepalese raft guide. So, yeah, it was a fantastic uh, adventure. As you said, Nepal's had a pretty tough time there was that huge earthquake i think was that 2015 or, or something yeah. something around yeah. about that time and i think during this current covid crisis they've also found it particularly tough because the economy is so dependent on tourists and of course there hasn't been anyone out there we tend to forget how this crisis has affected all of those areas nepal is just beautiful and, and the people are just incredible aren't they uh, do you, you know i think the, the people for me, are, you know, kind of make Nepal. They're absolutely incredibly kind people. Um, you know, they haven't got a lot or or if anything, and um, that you know the kindness they show, you know, travelers, tourists, um, and their own is is pretty incredible. Really, um, it was it was a bit of sort of bittersweet, really, doing the Kalagandaki again in in ninety. I think it was ninety, might have been ninety four, ninety five. I did. Um, a long descent of it from the uh, upper Kalagandaki down into the lower Kalagandaki. And um, sort of as you come into the lower section, there, there's a, a small gorge with three class three rapids. It kind of separates the, the upper section to the lower. Um, and it was free flowing. Um, go, going back um, in 2017, the river had been dammed. So uh, for hydropower, um, controversially, as as a, most um, rivers in the Himalaya are the big big river sources, um, so yeah, it was it was lovely to be back there, lovely to be paddling again uh, in Nepal, but quite sad to see a 
you know, a big dam and to have to put on underneath it. One of the characteristics I guess we should explain is that the thing that makes this particularly special is it's so deep. It's one of the, the deepest gorges of, of the in the world and Annapurna is the 10th highest mountain in the world. So it's a pretty spectacular uh, bit of geology there. Yeah, and a very holy river as well, um, where, where it meets, uh, comes into the, the delta at the bottom of the Nepalese Indian border. Um, and it, yeah, it's a very, um, a very holy river. So moving back into some more domestic um, waters, your second home, I guess, is the west coast of Scotland. It's an area that I've spent quite a bit of time. Just talk to me about some of the areas that, that you've paddled around there and some of your, your highlights of Scotland. Yeah, again, I, I guess kind of been lucky with, um, you know, the people I've met and people I've paddled with and the areas. Um, I mean, I think, um, you know, I've been fortunate to paddle in many places around the world. And um, people ask me all the time, you know, where's your favourite place? And, you know, for me, number one is the west coast of Scotland. It really is. It's um, it's a truly magical place. It's, it's you know, the weather can change. There's, tide, you know, quite big tides in some areas. Um, on the coastal coastal stretches, some great rivers, um, huge inland lochs, um, which create you know can create their own challenges and beauty, um, and the wildlife um, again is is truly inspirational. You know, golden eagle, white-tailed eagles, otters, um, porpoise. You know, the the list goes on. Um, and to spend time there, you know, e- either you know as a family or or with you know, clients guiding, it's, um, yeah, certainly a highlight of the year for me. And the beaches particularly, I mean, you could, if it wasn't for the, the, the temperature of the water, you'd think you were maybe in the Caribbean or somewhere. Those white sandy beaches are just incredible, aren't they? Yeah, phenomenal. And again, the people, um, Simon, you know, if you in the motor areas on, on the West Coast, I think things have changed a little, I think, with, um yeah, you know, with a lot more tourists around, people staycationing in vans and things like that. But but at the heart of those West Coast communities are, are the people. And they're, again, they're very welcoming, um, incredibly kind and uh, to spend time in their company as well. And we, we always make sure we give back on, on our trips back into a, the smaller communities. Um, yeah, again, that, it just makes that experience, uh, you know, a li- little bit more special. So let, let's just move on and talk about another great passion, which I know you have, which is SUP surfing. I personally am on record saying that uh, SUP surfing has ruined me for flat water paddling. You know, whenever there's the slightest sniff of a bit of swell, and we don't get much swell down here on the, the south coast, but at the second areas, we're up at sort of God knows what time and, and out on the water and it's just such an incredible thrill just talk to me a bit about sup surfing because you made it from prone surfing proper surfing as people say to sup surfing how was that transition and, and how do you get hooked by it um i'm really grateful for it actually i um i, I surfed like i said earlier on from from a young age um you know when wetsuits were pretty uh you know non-existent or horrific um and uh, there weren't, weren't many of them around certainly not like they were they are now um and I, I competed a little bit in shortboarding not very well got knocked out of most first heats um and as I got older I got into um uh, longboard surfing and again competed a little bit in that um not not very well uh, uh, same again um and then and for a run of um 
spells of spinal surgery um, for surgeries. And each time I came back, I would, you know, get back in the water, surf again, and um, and then and then sort of just realised that, you know, the pop up might be not helping my back at all. And um, yeah, transitioned into stand up paddleboard surfing, and 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 it saved me you know save my sort of i wouldn't call it a career um certainly save my um my my surfing that i still get in the water can still catch waves um and still enjoy the time with friends in in the surf yeah it's definitely changed my life i came to it very late from a very much a, a dry land athletic and again career i put in um quotation marks there but yeah i absolutely love it so with your instructor's hat on if there was anyone listening who wanted to start sup surfing or just to build up those basic skills on the board in order to prepare them for, for sup surfing, what would be those sort of constituent parts you would suggest that people work on? Um, I think a good level of, um, you know, a reasonable level of, of flat water, choppy water paddle, paddling ability. Um, because in, in surf, even though it might look clean, you know, with, you know, a long, long spell between two waves there's the water may be a little bit aerated or um even if it's not very big uh you know you need to keep the board pointing in certain directions um at, at times so yeah a reasonable paddling ability um do some research into uh you know areas that you can go that have got a wave that are reasonably safe there's so much information now on on um, you know magic seaweed and um surf uh, surf report sites and, and go to an area that hasn't got um, many surfers around because at some point you're going to fall off. You've got a, a large board, long leash and a paddle in your hand. Um, but of course, go somewhere that's safe, you know, maybe a lifeguarded area or, or something like that. I mean, realistically, I would say go and get a lesson. I mean, that, that, that I think it probably become clear a bit later, but I think going to get a lesson gives you that um, that foot up you should leave a lesson you know knowing a little bit about some safety where to go a little bit about equipment um so it prepares you to go on to your you know to your next adventure or, or your next um your next uh, uh time in the surf um and again I, maybe not the popping up side of stuff for stand-up surfing is is maybe go and get a surf lesson as well because you know ride it once you're once you've caught a wave riding the wave is all, all exactly the same as you would normally surfing so you know don't overlook that it's all about cross training isn't it just uh, extending your skills in those directions one thing that a lot of beginners who, who express an interest to to sup surf don't have in my experience is that ability just to move around the board and uh, for me that's one of those those key skills you've really got to be comfortable you know treading up and down the board and sometimes that takes a bit of time and it takes a bit of falling in in order to to get your head around that and to get your body uh, attuned to the different movement of the board yeah absolutely that you know you're spot on there it's that you know be comfortable and and you'll you'll enjoy it i think a lot more rather than just um you know battling all the time to um you know to try and catch a wave that you, you might not catch you know and and even that you know progression from flat flat water through to paddling a bit in choppy water turning a board in choppy water you know they're all skills that are gonna you know equip you and help you later on if you're you know paddling on a bit of coastline or you know a choppy lock in scotland so yeah all, all important stuff 
Okay, so let, let's talk a little bit about the Water Skills Academy and um, how did that get started? Because you were one of the founders, weren't you, of that? Yeah, um, it was sort of, um, you know, going back in time again to around just pre-2014. A couple of years before that, I was managing a centre, in an outdoor centre in Cardiff and decided that we'd buy a, a fleet of stand-up paddleboards. At the time, you could only get hardboards, uh, inflatables. I think there was one on the market with C4. Um, and when we bought them, I, I was lucky enough to come across Steve and Mandy West. Uh, they came to the centre, did some training with myself and a few other coaches there, and, um, you know, just, just left inspired. They kept in touch with them, and as as the organization they were working for at the time grew which was which was the asi uh, they asked myself and, a, and one of the other founders chris ray to become um trainers which we did for a number of years and, and some other great trainers there as well uh, paul byrne i think who still works for the asi is, is really really great guy um and then through one thing and another um we just decided that um steve and mandy had left the asi chris was leaving and i kind of um Thought it was probably my time to leave as well as a trainer, um, and and reasonably quickly we we decided that um, we should do something ourselves, and um, yeah we headed off, formed the WSA, and um, yeah wrote wrote the manuals, wrote the courses, and um, yeah it was uh, WSA was born. So in terms of your specialisms, because you've got not surprisingly with your background a very well-established sort of adventuring sort of expedition level of certification but just tell us what else you do because you do surf life-saving as well don't you yeah well you know sort of combined with Steve and Mandy Chris and myself you know at that time we it was quite a, a good collection of experience knowledge and and skills um you know I was at a surfing background adventuring background you know, you've Steve and Mandy sort of, you know, most people would know, know their background. Um, and Chris is a, you know, um, surfer, very, very good surfer, um, surf life-saving trainer, you know, of um, high, high level of pedigree. And so everything sort of complemented its, um, itself when we were pulling, pulling all the courses together. So outside of our sort of set of basic course, you know, not basic, probably the wrong term, outside of, outside of our um, initial courses, you know, we do specialize in surf lifeguard training, surf coach safety and rescue training, um, surf coach training, and then the, the sort of eclectic mix of all the other disciplines that, uh, that come with stand-up paddleboarding. So just moving on into the, the, we'll talk a bit more about WSA a bit later on, but just to talk generally now about instructors obviously um as we're all aware there's been a fantastic increase in stand-up paddle boarding over the last couple of years now i mean it was fast growing when we started this podcast in 2015 but it's really skyrocketed over the last couple of years particularly and i know one of the um one of the areas of engagement with stand-up paddle boarders which I guess is a sort of marmite type experience for for uh, people listening internationally. What that means in the UK is you either love it, love it, or you hate it. Is the whole experience of Facebook groups and the number of Facebook instructors we have out there offering everyone advice about this, that, and the other. And I've got to the point now where I I just 
try and avoid it because a lot of this information is it's well all is well intentioned and some is dangerous what what's your view on that whole uh, facebook engagement sup experience i think firstly it's you know where is there is there a sport or activity in the world that has grown and captured the world of all ages male female um young and old like stand-up paddleboarding has and i'd be hard pressed to find one i think um and i think with that um comes a lot of excitement a lot of passion um and undoubtedly then that'll spill over into um you know people trying to um doing their best to, to help someone out, whether that be in a car park, chatting with them about, you know, maybe a leash or whether that be on a Facebook group, trying to give some advice on, um, you know, where to go paddling or, or um, you know, clothing. So I think f- first and foremost, I think it's all really well intended. Um, the, the, I think the trouble is that, um, I guess the risk is that um, with some of that, um some of the questions that are posed, you know, there is a risk maybe attached to some of the things. And um, I would always suggest that people sort of default back to um, one, one of the specialist organizations. And, you know, it doesn't have to be WSA, you know, you can, you know, you don't have to come to us. We're not, we're not certainly not preaching things, you know, go to the ASI, go to be super, those specialist groups with specialist trainers that have been around for a long time. And gain information from their either from their HQs or from their instructors, their schools. So that, that I would just that's kind of my suggestion. How how we deal with it? Well, um, uh, like you, I try not to get too involved because, um, like you, I'm passionate about stand-up paddleboarding and certainly the progression for people to to learn well and safely. Um, and we we kind of just default back to posting either some of the webinars that we did during lockdown, some of the articles that we've written, blogs, um, or point people in the direction of um, people who we who we trust and um, you know admire, whether that be Steve West's book or um, you know Palm Equipment's latest release of you know a quick release belt, for example, or or something along those lines. You know, an industry industry professionals. Mm. And there's lots of information out there. And I'm glad that you touched on your webinars because I very much enjoyed those. I mean, you, you had a, a stellar guest list for that. Are they still available? Yeah. So, they're, they're, well, they were an absolute scream to make because uh, neither Chris or I had a clue what we were doing to start with. So it was all uh, it was entertaining uh, from the start. Um and yeah, they're they're all available on the WSA YouTube. Um, you know, we've we've spoken about everything with Matt Barker and um, Ben Pye from foiling to technique to boards to adventuring to. Um, Sean did a, a closed session for uh, ladies in paddle paddle sport, and um, yeah, they're all, they're all available. Yeah, and we'll link to your page on, on the show notes. So, what is your view on the growth of the sport over the last couple of years and where, where do you see it going over the next next couple um yeah what a what a really interesting uh, <laughs> interesting question and I, I i honestly don't know i think i don't know whether there'll be a slowdown this year or next year i'm not sure a chat with um some manufacturers and um they're saying that hardboard orders are going up 
which is I think is a great thing. Um, so maybe pe- people are specialising a little bit more. I think people are those people that stay with it will maybe take get get back subsurfing, which will pick that back up again, um, and hopefully you know get into adventuring and and seeing wild places and going off having their own adventures. And, and there's a real opportunity, you know, for those of us who are within the industry, and I think that's shared across yourselves wsa you know what what we do with this podcast and the manufacturers to just keep sharing that information and keep inspiring people and and there's some core information which i sort of repeat endlessly and actually some of it i've nicked from steve west from our session and particularly the really important part that he raised which is you know people endlessly give advice about which board do i buy generally inflatable one but the key information he gave was the most important part of is the paddle and those aluminium paddles are probably the things that potentially can turn people off off paddling because they're adapted kayak paddles and they really don't do the job so people do get fixated with the sort of boards they get i think generally then they're not that bad you know unless there's a a huge weight disparity between your body weight and what the board can take but that paddle is so so important isn't it yeah and and again like you know you you just said it there one of the first things conversations i ever had with steve was was about um paddles because we're the first 12 boards that i ever bought um along came these humongous paddles um you know it was like a weightlifting bar trying to use them um so yeah wholeheartedly recommend you know a, a more um you know a paddle and a paddle made by one again one of the sub specialists so whether that be starboard you know um uh, blackfish paddles you know research a little bit and um go to one of those those paddle manufacturers and again we're, we're always here to help you know we don't charge for advice like this give us a shout and and we'll point you in the you know in a direction that we think uh, we think will help and you're right about those old school paddles because they were absolutely massive and not surprising most people or, or certainly the racers ended up getting really bad shoulder problems from using them you know size is no guarantee of quality in terms of uh, paddle head size generally people are going small aren't they yeah, I mean, uh, for me, I paddle with a really. Um, uh, it's it sold um, as actually as a, a ladies' paddle, but it's. Um, I I think it's amazing. It's got a really small, um, really small blade, loads of flex in the in the shaft, and and because of my back, it's it suits me, you know. And especially on, you know, for me, the you've got a couple. Luckily enough to have a couple of paddles, you know, I've got a, a longer one that I I'll tour with and guide with, so I'm you know stood up a little bit more, and then I've got a shorter paddle which i'll um i'll use for surfing so um i u- use the same um it's the same shape blade and i just find it easier on on my body and my back allows me to stay out in the water a bit longer yeah so we've taken a, a slight diversion into paddles and i can't help but feel partly responsible for that conversation but we were talking about the, the growth of the the sport over the last couple of years and where you see it going and it's interesting you say about the uh, transition into hardboards because really that is you know the natural progression or tends to be the natural progression from beginners to the sport because you start off on your I don't know red 10.6 if you're lucky enough to to have that or you know other brands are available 
and then you you start to specialize and start to uh, work into those other disciplines and talking to Tez from Supmag UK quite some time ago now he was very much of the view that adventuring and exploring and so on was was the next massive growth area for stand up paddle did you share his views on that one albeit the fact that he he gave his opinion about i don't know 18 months ago yeah i i think so and i and i certainly hope so i think um like i said earlier on i hard pressed to find um a sport and also use the word activity that's captured so many people um we this year we were lucky enough to work with um and guide a series of um west coast scotland trips um they were all um f- female um trips and made up of really inspirational women who um had paddled a little bit and wanted to take their paddling a little bit further go adventuring into the into the wilderness and um yeah, I think they, they all, it was a guided trip, so obviously we were looking after them, but they I think they all left with that sort of drive and desire to go back out and maybe change a board, buy some dry bags, um, and, you know, get back out there into the wilderness and explore themselves. It's incredible, the female adventuring, because uh, obviously Cal Major, who's one of your ambassadors, and Fiona Quinn were the first ones to go lands end to John O'Groats and it wasn't until Jordan Wiley that, that there was you know a a large GB mileage expedition out there so women definitely set the standards in terms of that early adventuring and it's great to have more women out there doing those sorts of trips oh yeah I mean you know and, and go back a little bit before that was Sean as well Sean Sykes paddling around Wales you know what, what role models absolutely you know outstanding within um w- within an industry um that's uh and a you know a sport activity that's you know predominantly made up of females you know it's um you know what ambassadors and um inspirational leaders that those ladies are it's you know we're, we're lucky to have those characters and those leaders to look up to and and inspire us to get out on the water they certainly make me want to get out i don't know whether you saw cal's post of um her trip when she was up on the west coast and and a, a, those orcas popped up alongside her um you know it just uh, brought a tear to my eye actually i just thought how inspiring is that you know coast of britain and um and you know she's out there doing it up there amazing you're just coming back to sean sykes and her circumnavigation of wales you know, that is a gritty old trip. You know, if you haven't listened to that episode with Sean, then I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes. She tells a great story about escaping a firing range in the Bristol Channel by a matter of minutes. She did it the right way because she she was patient and she planned it properly. And I think that is the thing that, you know, potentially blokes can get too carried away with the macho aspects of it and I'm going to push on through and generally that's when you tend to get yourself into trouble yeah I think if you know if, if anyone ever gets a chance to go and listen to Sean or or Cal speak you'll um, you'll certainly see the level of planning preparation knowledge experience that goes into those big trips and I'm not I'm not saying um, you know uh, the, the blokes haven't done it but um, you know just going back to that sort of role model, 
you know, for, for, you know, other ladies and, and blokes out there, you know, that that's the way to do a big trip like that. You know, they're, you know, they've really got it dialed in. Just moving back to instruction and, there are a lot of conversations that go on about the value of instruction and whether or not people can do it on their own or whether or not they need guidance or whether they need lessons. And obviously people are entirely at liberty to follow whatever strategy they want. But there are some real advantages, aren't there, from having sessions with instructors, particularly in those early stages. Just talk me through some of the main advantages that uh, having an instructor's session early on can give to you. Yeah, I think, you know, again, it's um, like I said earlier, it's going back to that, um, you know, go to a a specialist sub-organisation or a school or club that's been affiliated by um one of those organizations obviously great if you go to a a wsa one um and you know you should really after a lesson you know you should leave standing up confidently you should leave um knowing about safety you know knowing a little bit about kit and equipment um probably where to go paddling what to do next and i think that is um gets you on that first rung of the ladder so you leave feeling confident happy um and inspired to come back and um have another go with a with a coach or um you know in a club or whether you go off and buy a board have a board and go out on your own and i think um you know it it is you know really really important that um you know you do that but and that there's also a cost consideration, isn't there? Because obviously, tough times at the moment, and people think I don't want to spend the money to go and and get a session. But actually, that can be a bit of a, a false economy, can't it? Because if you end up developing poor habits, or you know, you're not able to move around on your board, or you, you paddle in a strange way, all of those things potentially can be addressed up front and mean that when you do go out on your board you're you're far more prepared for for conditions and um, you're less likely to stand there with your legs rigidly locked you know we cramp all over the place and and you're far more relaxed on your board and that that helps you to utilize your leisure sessions far more effectively by the way I don't expect you to disagree with any of this but um, (laughs) yeah all good my controversial view so that's newbies and beginners, and obviously they get a benefit from instruction. But one of the things that surprised me when I took my B Super in instruction and started teaching as part of a school is how much pleasure I actually got from teaching people, even you know, an hour's taster session, the basic skills of SUP, and just seeing that real enjoyment on people's faces and I'm not sure whether that's a buzz that ever dims but it hasn't so far I mean what's your feeling on that do you still feel that instructions added an additional benefit to your paddling life yeah yeah still um you know I st- still still coach at the at the center in Cardiff I had a weekend of delivering courses um beginners courses a couple of weeks ago absolutely loved it um and uh, made sure they gave me a good review on TripAdvisor um, to, to you know, make sure I didn't lose too much credibility with the other staff there. So, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, I've got an absolute passion for it. So like, like yourself, you know, that, that will always come across um, in, uh, you know, in your coaching. And, um, and then the sort of the, the other end is the guiding. And, um, you know, there's no, I absolutely um, – 
guiding in the wilderness environment with um you know people who can paddleboard people who, who you know intermediate paddleboarders and just um you know that whole journey of of traveling on a stand-up in uh, in remote areas there's something about being on water and being on the wilderness which just delivers so many benefits to, to the mind and, it, and i think that's one of the things that's really um tied people into stand-up paddleboarding i mean I, I don't think it takes you long for it to get its hooks into you certainly that was my experience paddling on a very gray day with horizontal rain and a headwind and that was my first introduction to the sport and I loved it after that so it it doesn't take much to get its hooks into you and just in terms of instruction and being an instructor I think people deal with that qualification in a couple of ways they either think right I now am an instructor, I've reached my Everest and uh, now I can deliver all these sessions forevermore. Or people see it as just the start of their SUP journey. And uh, for me, my experience as an instructor is that I'm completely different to when it was when I first got my qualification. In that way, it's kind of a bit like passing your driving test, isn't it? Oh, uh, absolutely. And uh, and it's the same, you know, for for myself and um you know what an, another guy who I work with a lot we're always learning um and whether that be you know learning from different groups you've got on the water or whether you've gone off to do another course um watch someone else coach um you know read a book um whatever it's a, you know it is a constant journey I've, I've just finished a project actually in um in Cardiff working with some ladies from the local community um that Bame community in Cardiff. We did um, an outrigger journey along a piece of coastline, and they trained for it for for ten weeks. And um, it was it was apart from being inspirational again for for everyone involved, including myself. I learned so much about um, you know some different cultures approaching certain things in different ways. Um, so yeah, ne- never stop learning. Yeah, every day is a school day. So just moving um, back to WSA and some of your initiatives because as I mentioned at the top of the show you have been really innovative in terms of of some of the things that you do so one of the things is the women only SUP collective which you combine with Palm and and Starboard just tell us a little bit about um, that initiative yeah well it came came around from um, actually the the lockdown well pre-lockdown actually but then the lockdown sort of webinar series that the, we did and then the closed cpd sessions that we did and, and when we look back at the the demographic of um uh you know who who were on those uh, webinars who was watching who was asking the questions um it was you know 90 percent female and um you know we we've got some amazing female coaches female ambassadors um they, they outnumber the blokes and um and we just thought, well, there's a, there's a lot of talk on social media, one thing and another. So we, what we decided to do was set up the the women's sub collective in in partnership with Palm and Starboard, and we based it at um, um, a, a few select places around the UK, from the northeast down to Cornwall. We still haven't done the Scottish one yet, um, and unfortunately, we had to you know only do a certain amount. Um, and yeah, it was it was a day of, of workshops um, led by um, some WSA female ambassadors and coaches uh, and some some male ones, looking at some key things, questions that came out of the webinar. So sub safety, 
um, clothing, equipment, and then some fun stuff like, you know, intro to sup surf. Um, we did some river, um, some coastal, a bit of yoga where we could, um, and technique. So, yeah, it went really well, and it's um, it's being planned for, for next year. It's really good of you to join us as we record this because coming up this weekend – so basically, this event will have happened by the time this goes out, unfortunately. But you've got your symposium and trade event happening in Hailing Islands, which is the stamping ground of Steve West and also the area where windsurfing was created. Just tell us a bit about the symposium and, and the trade event that's happening in the next couple of days. Yeah, so uh, this Friday, Friday the 8th, we've got our paddle sport um, and board sport industry day um, based in in Hailing Island. And the concept is that we um, support our schools, clubs and uh, anyone else who'd like to come along to listen to some inspirational speakers and a bit I've missed out really is at the core of the Water Skills Academy right from the outset have been being the environment and our, our message and how we support and affect, you know, positive, um, positive change, um, being a one percent for the planet um, business member and also a B Corp, um, and we wanted to give back a little bit, a, a bit of education, if you like, and inspiration. So we've got Chris Hines, who MBE, who is uh, was one of the founders of Surfs Against Sewage. Um, Professor Tim Marsh, who is a, um, a cultural health and safety um, uh, speaker, um, great, great guy. Um, we've got Julian Penny from Faros Palm Equipment to doing um, a chat on their sort of supply chain and and um, uh, equipment and clothing. And then, uh, thankfully, um, Charlie Head agreed to uh, to step in and um, caught him just in time to do do a closing speech. So. Um, yeah, we're excited about that one. And then on the Saturday and Sunday, we, we do this um, every year, obviously, apart from last year, um, we, we run a, a sub-conference, sub-symposium. And that that originally started where we wanted to offer all the WSA coaches and guides a weekend of CPD. So they stay current. Um, and the reason why we did it that way was we don't we don't think selling the same course that they have to come back and do every year is is the right way to do it. So Again, we, we get together all the WSA um, trainers and for a weekend we run a series of workshops that people can buy into um, and use it for their CPD. So they're fresh when they leave, when they start next season or if they continue working this winter, they, they've left um, with a bit of time for themselves. And like we said earlier on, um, you know, a positive learning experience. It's a fantastic weekend in prospect, particularly Charlie Head. I think, you know, he's been quite amazing in terms of his expeditions and you know he's been quite transparent about his struggles and so on and we're hoping to get him on the show um, to talk about some of his expeditions there's one that's actually still on uh, Red Bull TV which was where he descended a large section of the Amazon which is quite an adventure and well worth checking out but yeah uh, incredible guy can't say enough about him and of course he's been um around um, scotland as well or or part of it this summer hasn't he yeah well he finished off his round round the uk trip yeah that was his sort of um his bits of his last leg to do because he, he did stop for a while so um yeah we're excited to hear about his, his circumnavigation and um it's, it's worth mentioning actually 
um, Simon, that the if if people see the industry day or or symposium conference advertised ready for next year, then it's it's actually sold out this year. But for next year, you don't have to be a WSA member. You can be a coach from any organization. It's open to everyone. Um, so yeah, keep keep an eye on that. And if if it's something you're interested in, then you know do book. Well, that that answers one of my questions because I was wondering what the relationship was between um, all the various di- different certifying bodies. I was kind of imagining it being like West Side Story with the, the Jets and the Sharks and everyone uh, dancing off or whatever. But clearly there, there, are, there are connections and everyone supports or at least recognises everyone else. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, the, the bottom line for it all, you know, when you, when you look at those specialist sub-organisations, you know, everyone wants and is driving towards the same thing. And obviously to gather members and, and that, that always helps. But, you know, to leave people inspired um, coached well, guided well um, by by those qualifications and the, those coaches and guides. So we've always had the approach right, right from the beginning that we're an open door. If anyone wants to go on one of our courses, they you know they can come along. They you know we're not insisting on certain things. They can drop in and out as they like because we see it as CPD. When and then those coaches and guides or, or general paddlers go off. And they, you know, they help everyone else. So it, we see it as a positive. Well, Ben, thanks ever so much for your time. I really found that interesting to find out about WSA and also some of your expeditions. I'm sure we just uh, skimmed the surface of all of that. Obviously, all of the information will be on the show notes and uh, we will build that out. But uh, tell us where people can find out more about uh, you and the WSA. Yeah, so find out more about the Water Skills Academy is uh, www.waterskillsacademy.com. And you can find out about all the coaching and guide courses on there, as well as our personal paddler courses. So we're not all about coaches and guides. There are holidays on there. And importantly, um, there's also n- not only our information, our, our safety information, but also where to go. So our schools and clubs are all listed so you can find one in your area. And if you if you feel like it, pop along to one of those and we know you'll get a, a really good service. Of course, there's all that information on YouTube, which you mentioned earlier, and which we will link to. Ben, thanks ever so much for your time. Great chatting and hopefully we'll catch up at some point on the water. Yeah, Simon, once again, really appreciate it. Really humbled asking me on. Well, thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed listening to Ben. And if you are looking to extend and expand your paddle experience and share your love of SUP by becoming an instructor, then the link to WSA is in the show notes. And just to say that there are other certifying bodies available. And there are lots in the UK like B-Super, who I got my qualifications with. But if you're interested, then please give it a Google for your local certifying body in your own country, because it's a great way to extend your enjoyment of the sport into a different direction. Well, it's amazing that we're now heading towards our last four episodes of this season. So, aloha, and as ever, I really appreciate your amazing support for the show and for your love of the sport that we all share. So until next week, I'll see you on water.